Hey everyone, it's Devin Boss, the ETF Institute, and today I've gathered a group of ETF industry veterans to help us through two more nuanced topics within the ETF realm, uh, being sub-advising and ETF white-label services. Uh, so today I have with me several guests uh, from Teroso Investments, along with another special guest. Uh, but from Teroso, we have CIO and co-founder Mike Venuto, uh, portfolio manager and head of trade and head of trading Charles Regaus, and uh, a former managing director in the New York Stock Exchange, former founder and CEO of Exponential ETFs, and current founder and CEO of AtNav, Bill Box. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Great to be here. So most investors and, and uh, financial advisors typically know the ETF company based on the issuing firm's name. Uh, but beneath the name recognition often lies a bunch of small pieces uh, you know, within the process itself involving several different parties. Um, we previously covered authorized participants, lead market makers, but today I want to focus on the area of sub-advising, as I mentioned at the, at the beginning. Um, you know, what is it? Why does it exist? Uh, what are the benefits? So on and so forth. So um, can someone just give me a, just a brief overview um, of it, the difference between the issuer advisor and the sub-advisor itself? Yeah, so this is Mike Venuto. Um, uh, I'm the co-founder and CIO of Toroso Investments, and uh, we help a lot of you know, new issuers come to market and launch their ETFs and grow. The issuer, the advisor, the sub-advisor, these are all important components. Um, I tend to think of issuer as the brand, right? So SoFi is the brand of uh, a number of, um, on a number of uh, ETFs in our trust. However, SoFi is not making investment decisions, right? They are either hiring an advisor. Um, so in one case, they are hiring us to actively manage a fund for them which is the gig economy fund. And then on other cases, they're having it done passively, meaning track and index, in which case a sub-advisor is contracted, which is another service that we provide. And Charles Regas runs that here at our platform. We have um, six people focused on executing and you know buying the individual securities that make up the, the, the ETF. But it's a lot more complicated with an ETF than it is with a traditional SMA or mutual fund because there is basket management, right? You're managing the creation and redemption process. You're managing the tax efficiency. Um, you're managing the spreads, the capital markets. So the role of a sub-advisor in the world of ETFs really is to efficiently use the ETF structure to provide access to the investment objective of the fund. There's only a few of them out there. Um, Pensera, Vident are probably the ones that have been around the longest. I, I think of what we do as a more bespoke version of it. And there's some others out there like ETC has an arm and, and Wes over at Alpha Architect has an arm. So we all know each other. We're all here to help grow the ETF industry. Um, but that's kind of the the nuances of the various components, the issuer, advisor, and sub-advisor. Uh, so just in general, you know, why would an advisor choose to have a fun sub-advisor? Are they looking for uh, expertise in a certain area? Maybe there's an options overlay. Um, does it have something to do with costs? And, and, and before you guys get into the answer, so um, Charles, you know, um, I might direct this question more towards you, but if memory serves correctly, uh, during your time at Exponential, uh, you were sub-advising Amplify Swan ETF. So, you know, what was the reason for that? Uh, was there expertise on your side, revenue? Was it cost savings for them? Can you just kind of get into the to the reasons uh, be, behind sub-advising itself? Sure. So, I mean, you know, when I think about it, there are three main reasons why someone might go and, and use a sub-advisor. One is expertise, is to your point, Devin. Um, some people may have it in-house, let's say 40-acre SMA, but they don't have the ETF experience. And they don't want to take the time and effort and cost and risk to build that out. So they can outsource that for instant expertise in ETFs, right? 
or specific asset strategy, whether it's an option overlay um, or international small cap, uh, inflation protection, blockchain, take your pick. You can outsource for a certain expertise. Um, and that also, based on how we do things at Toroso, I mean, I'd say between everyone here, we know every product out there, know everyone in the ETF space. Um, so you kind of get instant access to the ETF ecosystem and our, our collective knowledge kind of through through a sub-advisory relationship. Um, the next component of that is focus, right? So some firms uh, want to focus on product manufacturing and branding and selling. They don't want to deal with the operations or they don't want to deal with the portfolio management. And so they outsource that and it allows them to focus on where they're going to add most value within the value chain. Um, so if they don't think they can add value in terms of portfolio implementation, well, it's probably more beneficial for them to get, you know, outsource that and then focus on how they are going to improve uh, outcomes for the client. Uh, and then the other aspect there um, really is just scalable access. So when you, if you're going to market and you're brand new, you don't have a big book of business, you don't know the ETF ecosystem, by engaging someone like Tarosa or the sub-advisor, you also get access to, to not only the expertise, but the network of APs, of market makers, of brokers, of potential capital that you might need to effectuate um, heartbeat trades, what's often used in the business, but uh, changes to the portfolio. Uh, and even for, to some extent, gatekeepers. So uh, I think we've seen, at least more than I expected, when people are trying to get on platforms, um, having a sub-advisor has been very beneficial because those firms know that you have uh, an institutional caliber firm working alongside you and that you know there's not going to be errors or there shouldn't be errors and that um, you're not going at it alone. You have decades of experience, essentially, through that sub-advisor relationship. Yeah, and, and this is Phil, kind of, Coming at it a little bit from the uh, point of view of the client, which which I am now, ironically, is you know there's a lifetime of experience in these ETFs of of things to know, of little uh, situations, tax implications, different you know uh, secondary market considerations, things that are just you know will take a long time to accumulate that that knowledge base or to acquire that knowledge base. And by working with a, a sub advisor, you can onboard that entire lifetime of skills and knowledge. Um, instantly and very efficiently. There are, there are marginal efficiencies to be had by pooling several issuers together in terms of resources and ability to manage these funds than there are each one building identical processes uh, independently. Yeah, so what what about uh, communication, you know, between the issuer, sub-advisor, custodian, APs? You know, do sub-advisors have to seek financial approval from the advisor for all investment matters? Uh, what does, I guess, the day-to-day, week-to-week, or month-to-month communication look like? So, I mean, the way we approach it, it's tailored to each client because, you know, there, no client is exactly the same. But generally speaking, if you're using a passive product, you're, you're outsourcing the portfolio management to us. So we take care of the day-to-day um everything day to day, you know, whether that's portfolio reconciliations, trading, um, uh, talking with operations, custodians, fund admin, fund accounting, etc. Our goal is to actually remove you from that, again, kind of my point is so you can focus on the things that you're going to add value to and the things that you want to do, like raise assets and, and generate investment ideas. Um, when it comes to active, it's a consultative approach. We work with our active managers and we won't make any decision to change the portfolio without an official approval from them. Um, but in either scenario, um, you know, we are monitoring the portfolio. We bring things to attention. So in a passive scenario, let's say corporate actions, probably the real scenario where we might reach out to an issuer um, that's going to be very impactful. We might reach out to them and, and get their input on what they think is best. Because at the end of the day, the portfolio is a representation of their investment thesis. Um, 
And for active, same thing. If we see something coming or have questions, we'll reach out to the active manager to get their input. We'll provide recommendations. Um, but at the end of the day, from an active manager standpoint, it's their, it's their strategy. So, uh, you know, we really rely on them to, uh, again, direct where we want to go. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like a consulting uh, arrangement for the, the active manager. So we give them our input, we give them options, and they, they make that final decision. Um, but in terms of that communication workflow, I would say it drives, we drive it. Um, but at the end of the day, we're communicating with everyone. So Phil's heard me say this many times, Mike, you probably have too. I would say a sub-advisor is like a hub and spoke, like a bike wheel. The sub-advisor is, is the hub and the spokes radiate out to all the different parts of the ETF ecosystem. So everything kind of flows through us and we hold everything together and we keep that communication to all parties going at the same time. So we've mentioned both active and passive products here over the last several minutes. Um, is it is it more, um, or, or I guess, do we see active products being subadvised more versus passive? Or is there a pretty clean split be- between the two uh, from, from where you stand? What does the market kind of look like? Yeah, so let, let me take that one because that's how all this came together. Um, uh, the first product that we ever actively subdivised was Block, uh, B-L-O-K, actively managed, you know, focused on the blockchain, partnered with Amplify. Uh, Phil's company at the time, which was Exponential, where Charlie was heading the trading desk, uh, we partnered with them to do the execution because although my team, myself and Dan Weisskopf and Ryan Fitzgerald have a good idea of what we want to own, how to implement that is a much more complicated thing. So we contracted with Phil and and Charles and then eventually acquired it from Phil and then Charles came over here. So I don't know, Phil, you want to talk to how active it's not really that different, right? It's me giving a spreadsheet versus an index provider giving a a basket. Um, The the way I often explain it is um, if you take an index fund or an index product and you take the rebalance right from one day to the next when the index rebalances, you take that same process and you say, we're going to do that any day or every day or whenever we want. We're going to do essentially what is an index rebalance. In terms of the mechanics of running the fund, it's the same process and the same thing. Now, you have to differentiate when, when a lot of people hear sub-advisory, they think of it in the mutual fund context, which is generally that the sub-advisor has uh, active discretion and is making the active calls, whereas the, the fund company is doing the actual management of the funds. In ETFs, it's a little bit different. There are sub-advisory relationships where the sub-advisor has active discretion and the sub uh, and then you know the sub-advisor in the trading desk would be uh, implementing the portfolios, managing the taxes, looking at the secondary market, the capital markets, and the market makers, and tracking error, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, or um, the the provider of the IP or the discretion can be in the form of an index, which can also be based on a committee. And some indexes have you know less discre- uh, more discretion and are less rules based than others so it's kind of a a little bit of a trickier but when a fund is index based then the subadvisor is purely implementing the index and again there's all these different tax implications and different things so the 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 terminology is like it's very specific in each instance and it can also be very confusing because they can mean different things but um uh even with an active fund you still want to have either an active desk that's managing the, the trading, managing the, the taxes, the tracking error, uh, working with the secondary market and the market makers, um, or you, you can outsource that and acquire that expertise at a far more efficient um, you know, cost and, and you know, process by using a sub-advisor. 
So let's move on to the second subject that we mentioned that we talked about today. So it's the ETF white labeling services or white label providers. Um, so Mike, can you just give us a brief overview? Uh, and just so everybody knows, you're a part of the title ETF services company as well. Can you just give yeah. us a brief overview of the services provided? And, and then we'll get into a couple other questions. Sure. So, you know, white label, private label, there's a number of different words that people have used for it. But essentially, all it means is that um, instead of building your own trust, um, and building your own infrastructure, you can essentially rent part of my infrastructure, right? So uh, across our platform, we touch about $8 billion, uh, $6 billion of which we're doing the active trading for about 45 to 50 ETFs and USITs. Um, you know, we do European funds as well as US funds. So that gives us a massive amount of scale, right? Um, so for an individual company who's got a great idea, let's say... They're a specialist in XYZ or widgets. They're, they're a widget specialist and they want to do a widget ETF. Are they a, a specialist in trust management and fund administration and basket management in ETF trading and capital markets, APs, uh, exchange relations, tickers, all those things? No, they, they know widgets, right? Um, so by coming to us as a white label provider through our title ETF services, we can give them all the pieces of the ecosystem and they can just plug in and go talk about their widgets. It's, it's a, a very symbiotic relationship. You know, um, if you think of it this way, for somebody to go build a trust board, they've got to hire, call it two or 300 grand worth of lawyers, um, right? They've got to get board members. They've got to maintain that board. Uh, they've got to plug in all the various different components and, uh, all of that is going to end up costing them more than plugging into the scale of our Bloomberg game system, of our six traders, of our four administrators, of our three compliance people, of our marketing people and all that. So I've said a lot. There is one more component. White label is the core, right? That's the infrastructure. At Title and Terosa, we take it multiple different levels. So Will, once you're in our trust and you're using our services, we like to be able to provide, as a choice, the marketing, the sales, the access to our ETF think tank, the access to the trading desk. All of these are components that allow us to make the success of the white label client more likely. So when the product is filed, then, can it be filed differently? Or like, would, would Toroso be the advisor and then whoever's running the strategy would be the sub-advisor? How does it typically work when somebody comes to sure. you and, and uses those services? Yeah, so it's so interesting because everybody thinks it's it's one way, and it's really like one of four different ways that could be combined at any multiple points. Sometimes the sponsor is just the sponsor. Um, that's true for SoFi, for example, with their passive funds. Um, and sometimes the sponsor is a sub-advisor, like Robinson or or Accruance with XVOL or things like that, um, or the new one that we just did with Phil's team with House, right? You guys are... We're an advisor named and you're a sub-advisor who's actively seeking exposure to the residential real estate, right? So there's multiple different ways that it can be done. I tend to say it's really three are the most common as a branded sponsor, as a sub-advisor, or as an index provider. Um, sometimes it's a combination of two. Sometimes it's all three. Sometimes it's just one. So 
I, I guess what spurred, in, in, in your opinion, what spurred the need for this? Was there a lot of individual, uh, you know, SMA managers that were out there like, hey, I have a great idea and I want to implement it? I mean, was there anything, say, over the last five, six years that really said, hey, there's a need for this? All right. So I'm going to give my short version, but I think Phil is more suited to answer this because I'm sure he was pitched everything at the NYSE for years. Um, my short answer is we used another white label provider. And I found certain things lacking. Um, I was, you know, I had worked with uh, a notorious one and saw things lacking. And I worked with an okay one and still saw things lacking. So decided that it was a better idea to build it the way we would want it. Um, Phil, I, I'm sure you can talk to it as well, though. Yeah, I mean, it's hard within the ETF industry. It's hard to keep sight of the fact that there's still $10 of mutual fund money for every $1 of ETF money. And even though all the growth has been on the ETF side, there's still a very long tail of legacy funds and other structures, including, by the way, not just mutual funds, but even hedge funds and close-end funds that are finding, they're getting feedback from their clients that the ETF vehicle is simply the most efficient vehicle, from, you know, particularly from a tax perspective in the U.S., but for a number of reasons, it is now the preferred vehicle. So the amount of funds that we're, you know, continuing to see, um, you know, convert over to an ETF, thinking about converting over, planning to convert over, um, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell probably the listeners of this podcast, there is still quite a bit of uh, new innovation and existing funds that are going to be converting to the ETF structure. So it's easy to lose sight of this long tail at the back end of innovation that's still to come. And the idea that, you know, if we're going to have 40 or 50 new ETF issuers come in over the next five years, the idea that all 50 of them should build independently um, their trading desks and their AP agreements and their processes and their content, it just it becomes very inefficient. And when they can all pull together and create those marginal efficiencies together, it becomes way more efficient for them, which allows them to offer funds at a much lower price. It's better for investors, better for their clients, and allows them to compete in this you know, hyper-competitive, low-fee environment by using those marginal efficiencies. And I think it really comes down to that. I mean, there's you know, the, the efficiency aspect is a major, major driver of the demand for people to, to work with people like Charles. But, you know, more than that, it's also, you know, what he's able to do, right? Charles, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but your funds going back all the way your time at Huntington, now a decade, have never paid a capital gains tax in any ETF, except for a derivative-based stuff where you can't swap them out. Is that right? I believe that is correct. I, I, I lost track, Phil. I've been in this industry too long. <laughs> so there's there's tremendous, tremendous value there to unlock. If you launch an ETF and you you know learn everything you need to know and, and manage it, you will probably be able to wash out those capital gains. The best ETFs are, but we see every year, we see the list and we see a good 10, 15, sometimes 20% of ETFs are still paying out capital gains. So there's a material difference in how well these funds are being managed operationally that translates into dollars and cents for your investors, for your clients. So if you're doing the right thing by your clients and you're trying to manage these things as good as possible in the best way possible, you need to find partners that can do that. And that's what uh, that's what Charles has been able to do. And that's where Mike and his team at Toroso come in. Gentlemen, this conversation has been great. Um, Mike, really quick, and knowing that there may be some financial professional out there, again, SMA, uh, you know, manager, or he just has a great idea, uh, you know, can you give us a, a little plug on where they can find out more about uh, the title ETF services? Yeah, I mean, you can find uh, at title growth on Twitter or look up title ETF services.com. We've got plenty of information out there. I do want to say the ETF structure is really our value prop. Um, if you've got a good strategy, a good idea, 
I love that I can just simply make it better by putting it in a more efficient vehicle. Um, that's really all we're doing, right? We're giving you access to the scale we've already created in a vehicle that can take an existing good idea and make it better. I'm, I'm offering structural alpha. Right. Gentlemen, thank you again for your time. Um, also want to give a quick plug. Um, if any listener wants to learn more about ETFs, uh, please consider pursuing your certified ETF advisor, CETF des- uh, designation. Uh, you can learn more at CETF.org or the uh, ETF Institute.org as well. So gentlemen, thanks again. And uh, hope to do this uh, again soon. Thank you, Devin. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Take care.